I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes, it's time for more word foolery, the feature where we learn a lot more about words that we use all the time than we realised. Uh, this month, it's uh, Valentine's Day is going to be approaching, so Grace has selected a suitable word for the holiday. Plus, we delve further into how the words fiasco and stereotype get their name. And author Grace Tierney from Stamullen is on the line with me now. How are we doing, Grace? Morning. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to have you back. Now, seeing as we have a nice dusting of beautiful white snow on the ground, you have come up with a word specifically for today. Snowball. Let's let's start with that. I couldn't resist snowball. Yes. I love when it snows. <laughs> Although it's all hail where I am, so it's a bit disappointing. I'm hoping to get some of your snow later. Oh, hopefully you will. Snowball is actually a really simple one, so it has a very short history. It's literally snow plus ball, okay? But... It dates really far back. So it came into English in the 1400s. And at the same time, it also went into various other languages like Frisian, Middle Dutch and German. So I'm going to try them. We've got Schneeball, Schnuball, Schneeball and Schneeboled. I like it. I like the different accents coming out there. Uh, By the way, if there's anybody from those regions, you know, Grace is doing her best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm just trying. Um, (laughs) But it's fun as well because uh, snowballs, like as in making a snowball, uh, actually goes back to the 1600s. So people have been throwing snowballs for a long time. Yes, that is fascinating stuff. And is it just uh, like 1600s? I'm trying to even think, is it like the English language? Is that where it came from initially? Uh, Honestly, not quite sure. I think some of the snow stuff came from Old North and it's literally just ball plus snow. So it's. You know, it's just an old one, couple of words stuck together. And then we have, uh, in more modern times, we have snowballs, chance and hell, as in... Uh, Ah, yes. And that's not that old at all. That only goes back to 1910, or certainly the first recorded bit of it. Okay, interesting, interesting. Now, Valentine's Day is approaching and you've been looking into the meaning behind serenade. Now, I've never been serenaded. I think it might be a little bit OTT for me when it comes to proclamations of love. I just get a bit cringy when I hear serenade, but that's just me. Tell me about this word. Well, I'm thinking if this weather keeps up, nobody in Ireland should be serenaded on the 14th because you'll freeze to death doing it. Um, There's actually two versions of serenade, which is what I was going to have a chat about. And it's very important that you need to find out whether your loved one is a night owl or an early bird, because there's two different methods. Um, And both of these date back to the 1600s as well. So when I say 1600s, think Shakespeare and you're in the right neck of the world. Okay. Um, So serenade is a song at night, typically sung to one's lover through their window. It's all very Romeo and Juliet. 
Um, and it entered English from the French, of course, because they're so romantic. But it originated with the Italians, also very romantic, because they have sera, which means evening, and sereno, which is a calm or open air. And the combinations of those gave us a serenade, an evening song. Okay, and where does the morning part of it come in then? So the morning one has a different name, which okay. I never heard of until I got into serenade. So there's an obeyed as well. So again, age being song. So it's a song or a poem which greets the dawn, or sometimes maybe a tale of lovers who part at dawn, which is also frightfully from, uh, romantic. Um, so it's a dawn time serenade, and it comes via the French, but it has some roots in Spanish because oba means dawn in Spanish. I like it. I think, yeah, the evening time is maybe more of an appropriate time to be singing to somebody, is it? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends. I mean, some people like getting up early in the morning, not me. Not me. Maybe it works for some people. Particularly now, if I had to get up early in the morning and someone was singing at me, no, that's just a no straight away to that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting a second date if they start with that. No, no, they aren't. Uh, Now, the weather is positively wintry out there. February does mark the beginning of spring, however, and you've come up with vernal. Does that not just mean springtime? Well, yeah, you weren't supposed to know that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My first question was actually going to be, when do you consider spring starting? So do you reckon 1st of February on St. Bridget's Day? Yeah, you March, see, this is, the, this is a debate. This is a debate that, you know, uh, whether people love to kind of uh, have this debate as well every year. Uh, I would have said the 1st of February is springtime, St. Bridget's Day. That is signalling the arrival of spring for me. But no, people, sometimes people say March. Oh, people just fight over this. It's hilarious. Anyway, luckily we're not going to because I agree with you. I think 1st of February. And I know it's snowing out there, but I don't care. I need spring to happen, so I say 1st of February. And that's grand, but of course there are variants. So the one on the 20th of March is what's called the vernal equinox. You may have heard of that. It tends to come up on the news and the weather. So it's the moment when the sun crosses the equator heading north, bringing astronomical spring to the Northern Hemisphere, which is where we are, obviously. But that's a full 48 days after Imbolg and St. Bridget. That's a long time after the first of February. Yeah. There's a big window for springtime. But then I was kind of like, okay, what the heck is vernal then, right? So you've got autumn, and if you're describing something that's autumny, it's autumnal, right? Yep. Then you've got, which is a new one on me, brummel is for wintry. There's several different ones for for the summer and none of them really make any sense and they're not used. And then we have finally vernal, which is for anything to do with the springtime. So hence vernal equinox. And we have the Romans to thank for vernal. So it comes into the English language in the 1500s from Latin, uh, which was vernalis, which meant of the spring. And it originates from the Latin word ver, which means spring. But ver also gives that word onto a whole load of other languages. So you've got Norse, Greek, Armenian, Sanskrit, like it's all over the place. And ver is in other things as well. So you might know verdant, so something yep. like greenery, verdant forest, that's ver as well. And in French, vert is the word for green in French. So ver is all over the place, but vernal for the spring. Ah, I like the green connection there as well, because it is obviously about, you know, new life uh, coming back, all of that as well, which is great. Uh, now, fiasco is a fantastic word. And I think a lot of people <laughs> use this word, uh, particularly now, you know, uh, it's, a st- it's a great one for getting straight to the point of how you're feeling about a particular state of affairs, I think. But what can you tell me about the origins of fiasco? 
Yeah, fiasco is definitely, you're not being subtle if you call something a fiasco, really, <laughs> yeah. are you? And one can only hope that your Valentine's date night is not going to be a fiasco, but I do have a solution for you if it is. So fiasco comes into English in the 1800s, and it was originally used to describe theatrical flops. So basically, if you went to a play and it was absolutely awful, that was a fiasco. And it was only with time that it came to describe any kind of disaster, right? So it came from the French, which was fair fiasco, to make a fiasco. But it originated with the Italians, which they far fiasco, to suffer a complete breakdown in performance, which is really not very good. Um, But it literally translates as to make a bottle, because fiasco or flasco or flask, and then you get bottle, right? Mm. Following along? Yes, I'm with you. Okay. So we also have slang here, which is the idea of bottling it to describe somebody who's too afraid to do something. Although that's not necessarily confined just to actors, because obviously anybody can lack the courage to be romantic. Um, But with such vivid ideas of bottles and disgruntled audience, it's quite hard to avoid the idea that maybe they might cast a bottle onto the stage. Yes. They weren't happy with their play being well done. I mean, they're quite passionate. Um, And there is a phrase which is bottled off to describe you know, literally having to leave the stage because people are chucking bottles at you. It's quite dangerous. Um, but we think in all likelihood it's actually to do with an Italian expression, fare il flasco, which describes game playing. Game playing. So when the loser, they have to buy the next flask of wine. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That is so, interesting. So if it's a fiasco, I think you're entitled to a refund in the form of a bottle of wine. And that goes for Valentine's dates as well, in my opinion. <laughs> Watch out for it. That's a fiasco. Now, this is another word now that we're using all the time. Uh, but something tells me there's nothing stereotypical about the origins of the word stereotype. <laughs> well, I suppose in a way it is. Anyway, I wanted to do uh, something that was to do with publishing or books because we've got Ireland's Reads uh, coming up on the 25th of February, which I know I'm going to come in and talk to you. Yes, we're very excited about this. You are going to join us again to talk about this, yes? Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to do something that had a vague connection to books today. So stereotype does come from the world, world of books, but not necessarily stereotypical characters. It's a little bit more basic than that. So the dictionary defines stereotype as a fixed idea or image that many people have of a particular type of person or thing, but which is often not true in reality. And I think that's how we would all use stereotype today. That dates back to the early 1900s. But before that, stereotype had a different but kind of related meaning. And it all went back to printing and publishing. Excuse me. So stereotype actually entered English in the late 1700s, so 200 years before it got that meaning. And it came from a French adjective, stereotype. That's as good as my French is going to be today. (laughs) The word itself is actually a compounding of two different words from Greek. So we've got stereos in Greek, which means solid, firm, or three-dimensional. And type or teep, typos, which is a blow or a mark left by a blow, a statue, an outline, or a sketch, which is like really wide definition. The idea is that it's something visual. And it may be sort of like if you pressed hard on something, it would be the mark that you left behind by pressing, that type of idea. Mm. And that's type from Greek. So basically, if you think about that being a type and then typesetting in printing, which is getting those, you know, your individual letters all gathered together and then you press it down on the page and it leaves a mark when you take the, the types away. And then you also have typewriters, which literally do that. Yes. At a time, the old fashioned typewriters. I know most of us are on laptops. 
but that's where it comes from. So basically the printers used to assemble individual letter blocks. They're all back to front as well. I did this once with the National Print Museum. You can go to some of their workshops. So it's all back to front. I don't know how type letters do this job. And you assemble each word from individual letters. Then you print with your ink onto your page. But certain words are used again and again. So it might be Brexit in the newspapers. Uh-huh, yes. It might be COVID, God forbid. <laughs> or it could be simple words like and or the. You're going to use them again and again. Do you really want to put together A and D each time? Or do you merge three letters together, put them onto one solid piece and have A and D and that you can just slot that in each time? And that's what they did. And that sixth place of letters joined together was the original stereotype. Because oh. when you printed, it was done so without change. It was a fixed image, a fixed idea every single time. And ultimately, that leads to a fixed idea of a person. OK, very interesting. I, 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 you're definitely giving me another reason now to use the word stereotype. And I'll be like, I know all about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be boring, everybody. <laughs> Not at all. Grace, as always, thank you for really an in, in, interesting, insightful look into the meanings behind words that we're using all the time. Thank you for joining me on the show. And hopefully you have a non-fiasco Valentine's Day uh, this weekend. <laughs> Yes, wishing that to you and your listeners as well. Thanks a million. Grace Tierney's books are uh, available. You can get them Words the Sea Gave Us and How to Get Your Name in the Dictionary. You can also check out her blog. It's wordfoolery.wordpress.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.